you've been around, you know that we're doing a series on ACTS, the Acts of Prayer, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Samuel Chadwick said this, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. John Bunyan said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And E.M. Bounds, prayer honors God acknowledges his being, exalts his power, adores his providence, and secures his aid. And so I'm praying that God would make me and us people who pray. And so this brief little series is taking that prayer guide, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and putting it together with Christmas as I can. But I felt as I began to prepare this message early this week that in the blur of 40, 45 minute sermons over the last couple of weeks, when I get going here, there, and sometimes everywhere, I wonder if I just miss the simple truth that I'm trying to communicate to all of us. And so I want to try to be very clear this morning as we begin. If you need encouragement in your personal prayer life, if you need to be motivated in your personal prayer life, if you need to be challenged, if you need to be encouraged, that's what this four-week series is all about. Hopefully a reminder of a simple way to pray. If your prayer life isn't as strong as you believe it ought to be, or if in reality your prayer life has almost been non-existent, then this series is for you. It's, it's just a simple series to remind us, when I bow my head, what do I do? Of course, prayer is simply talking to God, but this model has been used by so many and been so helpful in their prayer lives. So what do you do? First thing, maybe, is you spend time adoring God. If you've only got 10 minutes to spend in devoted prayer in the morning, spend a couple or a few of those minutes in adoration, where it's as simple as, Lord, you are, and then you fill in the blank with as much truth as you can pull out of scripture. You are awesome. You are holy. You are gracious. You are kind. You are merciful. Whatever it might be that God puts on your heart about him, spend time adoring God. And then last week we talked about confession. Spend time confessing your sins to the Lord. Even though God has forgiven all of our sins we are secure in him, we still sin. And it doesn't disrupt the union that we have with God through Christ, 
We are safe and secure because of the gospel. But it does disrupt our communion, our intimacy, our fellowship with him. And God has provided a way for his children to, if you will, come back into that fellowship. And it is through the confession of sins. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then, as we'll talk about this morning, spend some time in thanksgiving about the good things that God has done for you. And then finally, we'll talk about this next week, spend time in supplication. So I got myself on this path a couple of weeks ago. I probably shouldn't have done it because it's becoming a little bit more difficult. I said a few weeks ago that Christmas is a wonderful time to adore God. We talked about all of those characters in Luke chapters 1 and 2 who, when the truth of Christmas kind of laid down upon them, it, it just stirred their soul to adore God, praise Him, glorify Him, thank Him, and the like. Last week, I said Christmas is an obvious time to confess our sins. We said that because we simply have to ask and answer the question, why Christmas? And we found our answer in Matthew chapter 1, where the angel said to Joseph, she's going to have a child. You're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The very reason we have Christmas is because we have sinned against our great God. And he, in his mercy, has sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins. And so Christmas is an obvious time for us to think about the fact that we're sinners. And we need a Savior. And even as we've come to know him, we still continue to struggle with our sins. And we can go to him in the confession of our sins. And so now I'm left to say, okay, what's my sentence this week? And it's getting a little bit harder. I'm not very confident in this one, but here it goes. Christmas is another time to give thanks to our God for his blessings. We're going to see in just a bit that Paul calls upon you and me to give thanks to God at all times and in all things. And so Christmas becomes just another great reason to give thanks to God for his blessings. I want us to begin by looking at a story in Luke chapter 17. And it's a stinging little paragraph. I think the big idea is quite clear. In verse 11, while Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. Of course, leprosy was a skin condition and it rendered one unclean. They had to walk through the city and cry out, unclean, unclean. And that's probably why they are standing at a distance from Jesus. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. They raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. 
And as they were going, they were cleansed. In other words, they were healed. Now one of them, when he saw that he'd been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Of course, there's the issue of him being a Samaritan, a foreigner. But we're just taking a step back here and saying, here's ten men cleansed by Jesus. And only one of them turns back and goes back to say thank you. These questions of Jesus seem to expose the ungratefulness of the nine. And I think the point is clear for all of us that the appropriate response to the goodness of Jesus in our lives is to give him thanks. The appropriate response to the goodness of God through his son, Jesus Christ, in your life and mine is to give him thanks. As I was pondering upon this this morning and praying about this message, a word popped into my mind that I don't think I've ever used, and we don't use it much, an ingrate. You know what an ingrate is, don't you? It's somebody who's not thankful or grateful for the good things that might come their way. If you want to turn there, go to your right to the book of Romans. So Luke, you're in Luke, then you hit John, then you hit Acts, and then you hit Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Romans is one of them. And I think we could say by common confession, it's if, if you can make distinctions among books of the Bible... This is the greatest of them all. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, there's no good news at all. None. Paul is showing the universal need of righteousness, that everybody needs a righteousness that they don't have in and of themselves. In other words, he is showing all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he begins this section in 118, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes and his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. In 118 to 32, Paul has in mind the Gentile world distinct from the Jewish world. The Jewish world had the revelation of God in the law. 
They were privileged in that way. But Paul's point in 118 to 32 is that even the Gentile world that did not have that special revelation of God in his word still had the general revelation of God in the created world. That God had made himself known, his eternal power, divine nature, clearly understood through what had been made so that they are without excuse. God made himself known to them. Verse 21, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, their foolish heart was darkened. Just quickly, Tom Schreiner notes on verse 21 and 23. The root sin that dominates human beings and unleashes God's wrath is specified in verses 21 to 23. These verses describe the same reality in various ways, but the fundamental sin is the failure to glorify God and give him thanks. He calls it the root sin. And the fundamental sin is the failure to glorify God and give him thanks. A great commentator on Romans, Cranfield, said it like this. The words, nor give thanks, single out for special mention one particular element in the glorification which they owed to God. They ought to have recognized their indebtedness to his goodness and generosity, to have recognized him as the source of all the good things they enjoyed, and so to have been grateful to him for his benefits. But they weren't. Ungratefulness is a big deal. We ought to recognize and remember all the ways that God has been so good to us and properly respond with thank you. Just the other night, Tara has set up in our garage of all places a wrapping station for Christmas gifts. And she was wrapping and her mom was out there sitting in a chair and I was sitting out there and Molly and Maddie and we were all around and we got to thinking about One of the things we've tried to do, and all of us, I hope, try to do with our kids at their Christmas parties, when they are opening their gifts, not their Christmas parties, their birthday parties, when they are opening their gifts, after they open that gift and they're so excited about it, and they go on it, whoa, 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 hold on, Molly, whoa, Molly, who's that one from? Susie. Look at Susie and tell her thank you. Thank you. Yeah, right? We don't want her to be an ingrate. We want them to be grateful, to recognize where this bounty comes from. It came from Susie. And so turn to Susie and say, thank you. Thank you. Tim Keller, I told you, I think a couple of weeks ago, right? We're doing ACTS, A-C-T-S, four different elements of prayer. He has, in his wonderful book on prayer, Three, Um, he talks of upward prayer. He calls that the prayer of awe. Inward prayer where we self-examine and confess our sins, he calls that the prayer of intimacy. And then outward 
prayer, supplication and intercession, where we pray for our needs and the needs of others. He calls that the prayer of struggle. So upward prayer, prayers of awe, inward prayer, prayers of intimacy, and then outward prayer, prayers of of struggle. Concerning the prayers of awe or upward, he puts adoration and thanksgiving together. He said it like this. Many people talk about praise and thanksgiving as being two kinds of prayer. And there certainly are important distinctions that should be kept in mind so that we can be careful to do each one. Ultimately, however, thanksgiving is a subcategory of praise. Thanksgiving is praising God for what he has done while praise proper is adoring God for who he is in himself. Psalm 135 calls us to praise the Lord. Psalm 136, to give thanks. And yet close inspection shows how the two tend to overlap. Psalm 135, which is a a prayer of praise, praises God for having delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. So he's praising God, but, but he's thanking and praising God for the things that he had done. In Psalm 136, this prayer of thanks, thanks God for being loving and good. And so even as as the psalmist thanks God, he's, he's pondering the attributes of God. Thanksgiving for a blessing automatically draws our mind toward the attributes and loving purposes of the God who has done the blessing Praise for God's love and goodness transforms effortlessly into thanksgiving for all the examples of his goodness in our life. So all of that to say, if you can't keep up with four, you can just have to keep up with three, right? If you can't do it, if you just, you know, acts is too much. Just go with Keller. Upward, praise for who he is and thanks to him for what he's done. Inward, confession of my sins. And then outward, praying for his provision in my life and the lives of others. It's all over the New Testament. Won't have you turn here, but hopefully these just kind of flood over us. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks. That's even in the hard times. Some of you know who Joni Erickson Tata is. She's now 72 years old, but when she was 17, she took a dive into the Chesapeake Bay thinking the waters were deeper than they were, broke her neck as a 17-year-old girl and has been a quadriplegic ever since. But what a testimony she has been for five decades. She said this, Hi, I'm Joni Erickson Tata, and I remember many years ago feeling trapped by my wheelchair. Then a friend showed me 1 Thessalonians 5.18 where it says, 
In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. At first, I didn't understand. How can I possibly give thanks for a life of total paralysis? But that's when my friend wisely said, Joni, that Bible verse doesn't say to feel thankful. You can't possibly do that. But it does say to give thanks. Giving thanks has nothing to do with feeling thankful. There's a big difference between trusting God and having trusting feelings. Well, it sounded doable. And so I started small. I started giving thanks for little things. And over time, God rewarded me for taking those first shaky steps of faith. He rewarded me with feelings of thankfulness. So today, give thanks for small things, and your feelings will one day catch up. It's a good reminder from Joni Erickson Tata to give thanks in everything, even the more difficult things in our lives. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father. It's a good reminder for us, and I'm not so sure I always practice it, but as we sing on Sunday mornings, let's just remind ourselves that we are singing to the Lord for sure, but we're also singing to one another speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It matters, y'all, when we worship, whether or not you're singing. As your brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to hear you sing. You say, oh, no, you don't. Well, oh, yes, we do. But as we sing to the Lord, as we worship Him in song, Paul's telling us, to give thanks. Maybe that looks like as, as, as you're just singing to him in the quietness of your minds, how you're just thanking him for his goodness as we sing of his amazing grace. Thank you, God, for grace. As we sing of his forgiveness. Lord, thanks for forgiving me of my sins. As we sing about joy that has come to the world. Lord, thank you for the joy that I've experienced in my life. There it is in Ephesians 5. Always giving thanks for all things. A parallel passage in Colossians 3. So as those who've been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Paul, what are you saying? 
and be thankful, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, giving thanks through him to God the Father. It's to be a distinguishing mark of the follower of Jesus that we are a thankful people. Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Maybe that's a good balance for us, you know. In everything by prayer and supplication, we're making requests known to God. I need this. I want this. Please give me this. With thanksgiving. Thank you for, and thank you for, and thank. So it's, right? First Timothy 2. First of all, I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made in behalf of all people. We're to be a thankful people. Not just to people who adore God and praise him for who he is, but to express our appreciation, our gratefulness, our thankfulness to him for what he has done. As I was thinking about that this week, Lord, how, how to sum up? You know, Paul says in 1 Peter, or first, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does every spiritual blessing look like? How, how could you sum it up? And I remembered something I'd seen from Tim Challies years ago, and it was simply him just putting together a resource on what's often called the order of salvation thinking about all the things that God has done for his people from eternity past to eternity future. The big ideas, and here are the ones that he listed. And see if these aren't reasons that you and I can be thankful. And here's where I might try to connect it to Christmas more than anything. All of these gifts that we're about to talk about have been wrapped up in the paper of Jesus Christ and his gospel. The reason these things are true of you and for me is because of the great love of God who sent his son Jesus for us and for our salvation. The first in eternity past is election. That before creation, because of his sovereign good pleasure, God chose to save his people. If you have chosen Christ, you might look back 30 years ago to when you, when you chose Jesus as your Savior, or 20 years ago, or, or maybe last year, you heard the God and you chose Christ. The reason you chose him is because he first chose you. And he did it unconditionally. He didn't look at anything in you that made him or prompted him to say, oh, I got to have him. I got to have her. It was unconditional. It was born of his sovereign, free choice. And then in time, he called you. That's the second. Challies defines it like this. God summons people to himself through the human proclamation of the gospel so they respond in saving faith. In theology, we call this effectual calling. 
that God chose you before the foundations of the world. He elected you to be his child. And then in due time, you heard the gospel. And maybe you heard it time and time and time and time again. But that one time, you heard the gospel and God opened the eyes of your heart to see its truth. He called you. In the book of Acts, it talks about the Lord opening the heart of Lydia to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Your heart was opened by the power of God as you heard the gospel. The third is regeneration. God secretly and sovereignly imparts spiritual life to those who've been called. The Bible talks about us before regeneration that we were dead in our sins. We were dead, spiritually dead. We had no ability whatsoever to respond to the gospel. But God regenerated us. And what that means is he made us alive with Christ. He imparted to you spiritual life from the dead. We call that being born again or the rebirth And then conversion. We willingly respond to the gospel call. We repent of our sins and place faith in Christ for salvation. I think of it as a coin. On one side of the coin is regeneration. We hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God opens our heart, gives us new life, and we repent and believe in Jesus. We convert to him And we're justified. That's another one. That's that instantaneous legal act of God in which he declares that our sins are forgiven and Christ's righteousness is ours. What a gift is justification. Not because we are righteous in and of ourselves, but because of the goodness of God through the gospel. He counts our sins as forgiven and the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to our account so that we stand before God righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he loves us, he's for us, he accepts us. Another one is adoption, an act of God in which he makes us members of his family. I'm gonna call him out here. I texted Saul Gonzalez this week and was showing him a little bit of what I was preaching right now, what's going to be preaching. So he texts back, so, so God regenerates us, justifies us, and says, wait, there's more. Phenomenal, he said, talking about adoption. God doesn't just forgive our sins and impute the righteousness of Jesus to us. He also makes us his children. He is our father. We are his kids. He loves us. The next is sanctification, a progressive, lifelong work of God and man that frees us from sin, makes us more like Christ. So when we are united to Christ, we're in union with him and indwelt by the Holy Spirit who empowers us for living and we're guided by the word of God, we press on to be more like Jesus. And then perseverance, we spoke a little bit about that last week, but all those who are justified, 
will be kept by God's power and persevere as Christians to the end of their lives. And then finally, glorification. God will finally remove all trace of sin from the Christian and give him a resurrection body. Folks, this is all because the second person of the Trinity became incarnate in the virgin womb of his mother Mary and then lived a holy life and died a substitutionary death upon the cross and rose from the dead and ascended to the Father's right hand and is alive and is for us. He elected us, he called us, he regenerated us, he converted us, he justified us, he adopted us, he sanctifies us, he empowers our perseverance and he will one day glorify us. Thank you. Thank you. So we give thanks for all those sorts of things. We might bring it a little more close to Christmas if we wanted. I've been listening to Alan Jackson a lot this Christmas season. Let it be Christmas everywhere. It's a great song. Let heavenly music fill the air. Let every heart sing. Let every bell ring the story of hope and joy and peace. Folks, because of the incarnation of the Son of God, because of Christmas and all that implies, we have hope. What shall we say to these things, Paul said? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God would give his son upon the cross for me, Will he not also give me everything I need in the fight of the Christian life? Paul's answer is yes. That's hopeful. He goes on. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who's at the right hand of the Father, who also intercedes for us. And then he goes on and on and on again, the fact that nothing is going to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have hope because of Christ. Hope today, hope for tomorrow, and hope forevermore. We have joy. The angel said, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Rich, authentic stuff on the inside. How do you describe it? Peter said he couldn't. In 1 Peter 1, joy inexpressible and full of glory and peace. Because of Christmas, we have peace with God. Romans 5. And having peace with God, he then teaches us how to have peace with men. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is now our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Then we thank God for good friends and great food, and good drink, and sweet fellowship enjoyed with church family. 
We thank God for the provision of doctors and nurses and for successful cancer treatments, for help on the test, the phone call from a friend, the answers to prayer, the guidance he gives, the provision every day for a job, for a home, for a warm bed to sleep in. We give thanks to God for all things. What a good, good father he is. So this season and forevermore, let's practice the reasonable, sweet discipline of thanksgiving to God. This week, wake up a little bit earlier. Spend time in the quietness of the early morning and adore God and confess your sins. Give thanks to him. And we'll talk about supplication last week. Let's close with just a few verses from Revelation. Revelation 4, 9, and 11. When the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they will worship him who lives forever and ever, will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Revelation 7, 9 and following, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. In Revelation eleven fifteen, and following, then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Let's pray. Father, teach us to be an ever more thankful people. Who as we quickly run to you for gimme, 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 help me, help me, help me, we would with those supplications do it in a spirit of thanksgiving for all the good things you have already given and all the ways you have already helped us. May we be like the one leper who turned and went back, fell on his face, and said, thank you. Lord, help us to do this in all things, at all times, even in the most difficult of our circumstances. Help us to be thankful knowing that you are at work 
in those times and through those times. Sometimes it's uh, darkness to us. We can't see it. But we trust that you're helping. You're working. You're conforming us to the image of Christ. We look forward to the day when indeed the kingdom of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ when he will reign forever and forever. And we will join the heavenly host in in saying, we thank you, our Lord and our God, the Almighty. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.